I got a girl with a mind on love The kind of love that is dangerous It knocks me down but I get back up Hey everyone, welcome back to Kevin and the Wu-Tang Clan. Today, I have my good friend Tyler Fern back on the podcast as we talk about soccer and all the things that have been going on the past couple months. Um, the big news with Man City and financial fair play and them getting getting suspended over the next couple years um, from the Champions League competition. Also, we touch upon Champions League results on the field in the round of 16 and we also talk about both of our teams, Manchester United and Liverpool, um, during the Premier League season and what can happen the rest of the way. So, guys, thanks for always supporting, listening. Um, so sit back, relax, and uh, let's give Tyler a call. Hey, it's Tyler. Hey, Tyler. Thanks for coming on to the podcast. Some things are changing, man. Like, I got a new uh, cover art for the podcast and everything. So, um, you're the Fancy. first one. You're the first podcast that I've had since the new change um, to the cover art. Uh, thanks and shout out to Dave for that. Um, but, yeah, Tyler, thanks for coming on today. We're going to be talking about, obviously, soccer. As always, whenever I have you on, um, yeah, there's just been a lot of stuff since we last talked. I know me and Hedjun um, had a podcast a couple months ago, actually sometime in like December, um, about all the things that were going on um, in world football. And so many things could change in a matter of two months or so. I think we were kind of talking about the implications of uh, Pochettino getting fired and then uh, subsequently, like, what ha- what's going to happen with Mourinho um, at um, at Tottenham. So there, there's just, like, a lot of different moving parts. Um, it seems like there's been a little bit more stability, maybe not <laughs> um, in world football, but uh, there's one story off the top, I think, a lot of, listeners wanted to get our takes on um and it's actually nothing that's been happening on the fields but it's the big announcement off the field involving manchester city being suspended for two years um in champions league play and also getting fined um with violations of the financial fair play rules of 30 million euros i believe or 30 million dollars yeah. I mean, talk about a bombshell announcement. Um, for most people, I feel like it came kind of out of nowhere, I, myself included, but apparently the stories were coming out that this has been a really long, drawn-out investigation, um, and it's pulling all the way from seven, eight years ago, it sounds like. Yep. Um, so this could be quite... Um, quite the story over the next few years in terms of how it reshapes uh, the Premier League and the Champions League and world football as a whole. Yeah, and I think it definitely, it's like just very interesting, like kind of reading up on like some of the leaked emails that kind of showed some like, I don't know, improper benefits that were being used in terms of like funding and things like that. Um, 
of like sponsorships and like how it violated some of the rules um it's it gets very like legal heavy based um and it it can get super confusing i'm i'm just like looking through an article fairly quickly but i think like what the implications actually mean on the field of them being suspended for the next two years in champions league play is a fascinating twist um and it has like a direct result in terms of what happens in this year's premier league Exactly. And just to try to summarize um, what the allegations are, if you could help me to a little bit. Um, yep. From what I've gathered, it sounds like it seems as if they may have been misreporting some of their revenue streams and their sponsorship revenue in order to be able to spend more money on their players and things like that. Is that kind of the dumbed down version of it yeah that's that's like the gist of it basically so like i i think you summarized it fairly well for like our listeners in terms of like what financial fair play actually is so financial fair play was kind of put into place so that teams would not overspend um and basically go into insolvency and and uh fall apart as clubs because they would overspend on the amount of players and would spend money that they didn't have to spend. So these rules were put in place to basically protect clubs from themselves. And um, you pretty much summed up the, the scenario exactly with what happened with Man City. So they fudged a little bit of their numbers in order to sign more players at a higher cost. All right. Interesting. Because a lot of times you'll hear of all these clubs paying huge fees for players, we know that happens all the time now. Um, but it's interesting to hear sort of about how you have to be bringing in money in order to spend money um, in terms of the way that the fair play rules work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's I, – I just think it's really interesting, like, moving forward, like, how teams will kind of tread water when dealing with something like this um, in terms of bringing in players and, like, does that change the – um calculus in terms of what teams decide to do um when trying to build a team yeah and i also think that it's interesting that it this massive maybe even a statement kind of ban by uefa being handed to man city when not to you know put such serious allegations out there without you know, baseless allegations, but I I think of a club like PSG. I feel like they, even more so, have done things like this, at least from a a fan's perspective, without having the inside info. So there are other teams out there that have this kind of reputation already. So I'm interested, as this develops more, to see what exactly was the reason that, that Man City was the first or was the sort of the poster child for this kind of a ban in this era yeah and it's like a huge prohibitive ban especially with the type of players they have the stature of where this club has been at especially with the manager who's kind of hell-bent on getting them to the champions league uh trophy um in pep guardiola and that's pretty much all he's hasn't achieved at man city 
And I wonder if that changes maybe his thinking in terms of trying to find his next opportunity somewhere else, because is he really going to, you know, stay out of Champions League football for two years? Or are some of these guys that are in their prime, like Kevin De Bruyne, going to be like, be okay staying out of um, European football for the next two years, especially um, in two years that, could be considered the prime of Kevin De Bruyne's career? Yeah, I think that's a really good question because um, that has sort of been the target that, that Man City have been setting for themselves over the past you know, three, four seasons in a row when they've really been on paper looked like capable of achieving something like that. And they still haven't quite realized that. And now they not even be able to have a chance you've got to think that some of those players will be leaving. And, and not only that, but if this does get upheld, I guess they, they are able to do an appeal. So it's not final yet. Um, but if this is upheld, then you think they would have to offload some of the players just to get their finances in order again. Yeah, and I think that'll be interesting to see, like, which one of these players Man City decide Man City's management decides to offload in order to kind of balance the books per se. Um and like, you know, early indications from what Pep has said in terms of whether or not he's gonna see this out and early indications are that he's gonna be committed to the club, but at the same time we already know like how fickle um world football is and in terms of like people staying it usually there's not a lot of commitment slash loyalty I would say in uh yeah. world football so I'm I'm very dubious of what Pep is putting out there until it actually kind of happens if the um arbitration board ends up hold, upholding uh the um the punishment and basically rejecting the appeal. I then I think once that decision is made final, then I think you'll start to see dominoes fall, but it's a little bit too early in the process to say what ends up happening and speculating what ends up happening with like Kevin De Bruyne or like Bernardo Silva, you know, Hey, Gabriel Jesus, like some of these really exciting pieces for them. Um, I wonder if, like, from their point of view, it's, like, an attractive situation at that point. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting, and I don't think we as outside observers are even going to get a full picture probably ever from from this. Um, just in terms of, let's say this does get upheld, and then suddenly you know, three of the star players that you just mentioned, let's say three of them leave. You know, from our vantage point, we might not know if they're leaving – because of no Champions League football. We might not know if they're leaving because they were asked to take a salary hit or their contract terms hit some sort of clause with a with no Champions League. You know, that stuff might not necessarily even come out. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens and then see what kind of information we can even get in terms of trying to see how the dust settles. And I yeah. I don't think I don't think this is going to be like crippling for the club. Um in terms of like, they're not going to get relegated from the Premier League because all of their players are going to leave. You know, some people are really taking it down the extreme. Um, 
I think we're definitely going to see a few players that are going to show some loyalty and feel like this is now a different kind of project. You know, it might not be the superstars in their prime, but it might be some of the other characters who are going to step up and be like, you know what, let's ride this out and come out on the other side. Yeah, I I think from my perspective, though, it's kind of interesting how some of these players, after kind of, after, especially after this year, if they're not able to accomplish their Champions League goals of winning the title, then I'm I'm curious to see like which of these players really value that because a lot of these players, that's like to kind of make it. Um, relatable to some of our listeners that don't understand world soccer that well or European soccer that well, the Champions League is like the equivalent of winning the Super Bowl to a lot of these um, players. So I'm curious to see, like, does this decision really hamper some of the players' goals? Um, and especially with Man City having that goal being their number one priority, um, that perspective and, and, and shift in perspective and change might be too drastic for some of these players. Yeah, I like I said, I think it'll be really interesting to, to see just based on what we do know factually and try to figure out as much as we can behind the scenes. It's too bad that the uh, Amazon documentary isn't still rolling because yeah, I know. just got Ooh, a lot more interesting. That would have been juicy. So, Tyler, let's actually transition to some, some stuff that ended up happening in the past uh, couple weeks in Champions League football in the round of 16. And, I mean, let's stick with Man City. They ended up shocking Real Madrid, uh, beating them 2-1 at um, – at Madrid and at the Bernabeu, I believe. And it's pretty incredible that they were able to win 2-1 after being down a goal. Or were they tied? I can't remember. But I know they, they ended up winning Yeah, they were down 1-0. 1-0. Yeah, and they were able to come back. Um, and another addition to that, Sergio Ramos ended up getting a red card late in that game. So he won't be available for the next leg of uh, this matchup between these two teams. So what were your thoughts on kind of watching uh, the game, watching some of the highlights and just like how this kind of progresses and moves forward? Yeah. So we all haven't been having the most convincing season in the champions league so far, um, but they did still look pretty strong. The game was very open though. I was surprised how back and forth both teams were going. Um but then not a lot of end product until the end of the game where everything just went crazy. Um, I did hear that they're going to try to appeal that Ramos red card, so that would change things a lot going into the next leg because although the although the area on the field where it happened in terms of him basically denying a goal-scoring opportunity was there, you have to say that it was very minimal contact. Um, which should, you know, somewhat come into play, I think, in that decision for for giving a red. But, um, yeah, I mean, full credit to Man City for sticking in and then just capitalizing there at the end when the game was just ratcheted up a notch of an extra level of chaos there. And 
to get that away win in those away goals, it's going to be huge for them coming back. Yeah, and it's just I like let's get to the red card with Ramos. Like basically, what you're alluding to in terms of the area of the field to him denying a clear goal scoring opportunity. If you kind of read it by the letter of the law, that could be constituted as a red card, but that contact was seemingly at least watching it back over and over again was so minimal that I was surprised that um, was it Jesus that got taken down? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I was surprised that he wasn't called for a possible dive. Honestly, when I watched it in real time, I thought that's what was happening. I thought the ref was marching over to give him a yellow for simulation. Yeah, because it, uh, it wasn't until I did. saw. Yeah. Um, yeah, it definitely did. And I, I was just kind of surprised that that was the end result. So I wonder if that appeal ends up changing things. And, I mean, that's going to play a huge role, I think, in the next leg of um, the second leg of this matchup because if Ramos is back in there, I think it starts – it kind of changes things and it gives Real a chance um, at Man City to be able to, um, I think, maybe impose their will a little bit more because I I was actually surprised at how open the game was, um, like you were saying, yeah. and how back and forth it was in terms of um, just some of the uh, lack of – I don't know, maybe not necessarily discipline, but maybe just them feeling it out a little bit more. They, I, I was surprised that there wasn't much of that. Yeah, I was also a little surprised with both lineups. Um, for instance, mm-hmm. I thought Aguero would definitely be starting. Um, he didn't even end up getting uh, any minutes. He didn't even end up subbing on. So, it's interesting from Pep's perspective to trust Jesus and, you know, Bernardo Silva and De Bruyne, obviously solid. Um, but to go without arguably your best striker over the past five years or whatever, I thought that was a big, big call. Um, and then also on Real's side, you know, still <laughs> Bale cannot get consistent play time, no matter how much, he does specifically in the Champions League too. His history of just incredible moments in the Champions League. I don't understand why he doesn't see more of, of the pitch. Um, but also somebody like um, Cruz and um, Lucas Vasquez. I mean, they they be, they both started on the bench. It was just like ah, I see. You know, they have some of the younger guys like you know. Um, I don't know how to pronounce the guy's name, but Vinicius. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> or, yeah, I mean, that guy is, like, very exciting to watch. Um, but, yeah, I'm just Verde a little surprised also, with the lineup. Yeah. yeah, just a little surprised with the lineup. Yeah, and I I think it's interesting to kind of see maybe some of these young guys getting rotated in. Uh, I wonder if that had a role to, you know, had a role to play in, like, the lineup situations. Like, the, the Jesus one kind of surprised me as well with Aguero not starting. You'd kind of think, like, this is the guy at the club, a lot of experience on the road. Like you would think Aguero would get that time. And Jesus was the one that ended up coming up huge for them. Um, so it, it was like a really interesting battle of wits there. I I don't know how you project this moving forward, but if I, I just sense this extra sense of 
motivation from Man City's point of view just because of all the Champions League ban stuff that we talked about at the top and how this is basically like their one and only shot in the next three years. Um, and if they're not able to do it now, then they're not going to have any more chances. And also, I just ever since Cristiano's left Real, they've kind of lost the allure of invincibility slash like in, in especially in this competition. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so, I mean, yeah. I think imagine Man City going on and winning the Champions League this year and then the the band stands. I mean, that would just be that would just be the most ridiculous series of events. Um, Such a in terms of crazy but, stories. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like the narrative is already built into Oh that, yeah. So. I mean, yeah, it's like it's already there. Wow. So it'll be really interesting to see if they're able to perform. Um, yeah. There are also, like, a couple other really shocking results, I would say, um, in these first legs of the Champions League. Like, Napoli and Barca ended up tying. Napoli was um, at home, but still a tie against Barcelona is a tie. Um, Leon ended up beating Juventus. Um, so that was and, huge. And... Honestly, like watching that game, they looked more explosive and were creating the better opportunities compared to Juventus. Um, So I was hugely impressed with that win. And my own team, Liverpool, ended up losing to Atletico Madrid. Um, Atletico kind of pretty much parked the bus um, and allowed Liverpool to have a ton of possession. But Liverpool wasn't able to get any clean opportunities from what I remember during that game. And um, I think that's just kind of the book on how to possibly beat Liverpool. Like, park the bus. Hopefully they're not able to create good opportunities and um, just convert on counterattacks, especially with um, isolating maybe someone like uh, Joe Gomez as the weaker link of the two center backs to go attack. Yeah, I wasn't able to see this match, but um, I was checking out, trying to figure out what all happened, and it sounds like just especially after getting that early goal, it was in the fourth minute um, yep. that they just sort of decided to to just sit back and they they ended up only having 27 percent possession so yeah this is like really surprised that you guys were not able to break down at all but it sounds like they did a great job of parking the bus yeah and i was about to say this sounds like when you rattled off the possession sets it sounded like one of their games in college when um you would dominate the possession and fifa and then i would score like a goal a cheap goal somehow um and basically like defend for my life so that's pretty much what it what the game i I can i can share your frustration there because i can pretty much figure out how the game went (laughs) yeah exactly so there's a lot of frustrating moments um honestly though everything like past like or in addition to the season liverpool's having in the premier league is pretty much gravy honestly and like it's like this it's such a weird sense of confidence at this point that I have in this team especially with like all the hurt all the troubles that I had been through 
um, in the past, I would say probably close to t- 10 years of being a liver, like a pretty supportive Liverpool fan. Yeah. Um, like there is just this sense of confidence that I have in this team that, okay, don't worry. We'll just get them that Anfield um, and we'll score a wow. bunch of goals. All right. Like, yeah, <laughs> not that it's like the worrisome part is like, they're going to have the same exact strategy like park the bus and hopefully get a goal on the road uh that crucial away goal but yeah it's it's just like one of those things i think there's this confidence brewing um as a liverpool fan that um is kind of reminiscent to like how i think a lot of maybe man u fans felt back in the day um when like they were under Sir Alex Ferguson and had this like supreme confidence that they're going to be able to compete in any game. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but I got to say, like you guys literally just won the Champions League last exactly. year. That's that's and like also you're another thing. destroying the Premier League. So like the most competitive most competitive league is pretty much out of the question with Liverpool ahead. 22 points yeah. over Man City. So it's, I mean, it's just pretty like insane. historic numbers in the Premier League. So it's, I don't know. it's crazy. Yeah. It, I know it really you guys is. feel like you have to do everything you can right now and it's finally working, but you don't see a lot of back to back Champions League winners. I, mean, I know Real has done that plenty of times, but in the grand scheme of things, I don't think you should feel too bad if you don't follow up back to back Champions League. Yeah, totally. At this point, anything <laughs> plus like the the season that they're having in the Premier League, like I was saying before, is crazy. Um, yeah. So let's kind of like shift our attention to the Premier League. Actually, um, yeah. I think one of the really interesting portions of um, what kind of flows from what we talked about of Man City's like financial fair play suspension, um, what ends up actually happening is it opens up like this, I guess, really interesting slash like amazing race for this fifth spot that has the potential to be that fourth Champions League spot for the Premier League because of Man City's suspension. And guess who's sitting at number five right now? Manchester. Oh, I know. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Exactly. Just informing our listeners. So Tyler, I'm going to just hand it off to you and you could kind of go off for like two to five minutes or whatever about (laughs) Manchester United and like the type of confidence that you're feeling in this team to be able to, and and they're only three points behind Chelsea with a better goal differential, I believe um, compared to Chelsea. So they're only like, one win behind Chelsea in terms of tying it up for them. Um, what type of confidence do you have moving forward with the last 11 games of the Premier League season of Man U being able to get into the coveted top four or holding their position at fifth? So, first of all, I think we do have a good chance of getting up to fourth now. That 2-0 win against Chelsea um at for Bridge. Huge. I mean that's exactly the kind of game that you need to win when you're chasing that opponent. And so that was if we had lost that, 
I would have said, forget it. We, we're not going to do top four this year. Um, but the main thing I want to talk about is Bruno Fernandez. Oh my God. I you're you're in love with so, him. I'm so excited to have him on the squad and not only just have him in the squad, but just have him jump right in with no dip in form from his um, Lisbon form and no like hesitation or like, like a transition period where he has to get to know the squad and get to know the tactics. This guy just comes straight in and is like, you know what? I am probably one of the best players on this team right now. And I'm going to play like that. And he's just been on all the corner kicks, most of the free kicks. He's already converted to penalties. He's putting forward through balls into space that we were just, no one seemed to be able to do that before he arrived. And it's just been like so refreshing. Um, Even just signing him in the January window alone is something I didn't even think was going to happen because of our history of kind of waffling big transfers over the past five years or so. Um, they gave me some confidence over the summer with our signing to McGuire and um, Juan Bissaka and all that, but we just sort of had a history lately of messing up or getting really screwed over in the deals that we want to get done. So that, first and foremost, was a huge win. And then for him to acclimate and just jump right in the team and have such a big effect from the start has been such a great feeling. And it, it has started to feel like we are now able to string some wins together, which is one thing that we were struggling so much with. We were just so inconsistent. We would win a game, and then it was usually against a, a top six opponent. We would win, and then we would lose right after to you know a team fighting relegation. And then we would get three draws sprinkled in there, too. And it was just so inconsistent. And so I'm just hoping that we can ride this wave, finish strong, and just end up in the Champions League again next year. Yeah, and I think one of the things that I kind of was looking forward to was, like, how they would deal with this Watford game. Um, Like, this – I think it was this past weekend. Yeah, this past weekend and how they would deal with this Watford game because – like they're coming off that really good win against Chelsea at Stamford bridge. And this was like typical, like what we've come to kind of expect out of man you at this point where like they would have the great result on the road and then they would kind of come home and then like disappoint. And I, I was wondering if like they would kind of put the, put their foot down a little bit, especially with Watford, like fighting relegation. And I was like pleasantly surprised that they ended up having a pretty solid uh, game and winning three zip in that matchup. And I think like the Bruno Fernandez signing has been so helpful for like basically what we've been kind of like talking about all years, like past like year and a half or so of like what man you needs to fix this club. And it's like, he has that perfect combination of movement slash intelligence with the ball in terms of like playing those through balls, creativity and like attacking prowess, basically someone like what we wanted out of like Paul Pogba, but who had a hundred percent like 
who hadn't been able to quite do it in the position and the system that Man U had been and had been employing. And it's just yeah. like, it's just like a, a huge difference out of like what he's been able to do and unlock out of the system. Like I remember just like watching his first minutes during the game and I forget what game he debuted on, but like he was like ripping shots and like taking, yeah. like even though like they weren't really on target or anything, he was just like having the confidence to like take those shots at which man you hadn't been doing like, which was really weird um, from like a Manchester United team. And that's what I was like really impressed with that. He had the confidence to be able to do that. And he wasn't shy about taking on that responsibility. Yeah. That was the um, Wolves game that ended up being zero zero, but yeah, I'm pretty sure I haven't looked into this actually, but I'm pretty sure based on what I remember seeing after each game so far that he's just dominated the stats for Man United every single game since he arrived. I mean, it's only been you know, four or five games, but um, yeah, he's just like you said, just the confidence to not worry about the pressure that was on him with the big fee, you know, coming to a bigger club and all this pressure when the team's struggling. And, you know, he's got this expectation where he's going to start to be part of the, you know, the turnaround, the rebuild, and then to just put yourself right in the middle of it and just flourish has been such a rewarding experience for once. And, and when you touched on Pogba, I was actually going to say something similar because it's like when we've seen Pogba, when he's really in form and, you know, Pogba obviously on his day is one of the best players in the world, but for whatever reason, and I don't want to get too much into that. That's more for when Hedgen and I can, get into a big argument, but yeah. <laughs> I don't want to get into the reason of why Pogba has been inconsistent, but just more the fact that it, he has been so inconsistent and then not even talking about how, how his injury has sort of plagued him for this entire season. So to have somebody who's looked like he can deliver this kind of creativity and this energy and quality game after game, I'm just like, I'm over the moon. <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of, it, it's it was like this weird thing because like Man U has been searching for that type of guy, but they didn't really have the right personnel to play that type of person in their system. Like they were trying That's to Juan Ma- they were like trying Juan Mata out there, like basically in that like number ten kind of role, like off the striker. Um and yeah. he might have been able to do it five years ago. But, like, where he's at right now at his stage of his career, he's not the guy that you're basically relying on um, to produce offensively uh, the way, man, you really need someone to produce in that position. And Fernandez has been able to do that in such an encouraging sign. And it's, I think, leading to a lot of rumors as to whether or not Pogba gets, you know, let go this off season um, during this summer transfer window um, and goes somewhere else, um, which is fascinating as well, because it'll be a second time leaving Man U in basically with like all the expectations he had um, 
him kind of leaving the club in, I wouldn't say like a disgrace, but just like, I don't know, like with like so much unfulfilled potential. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I was reading an article the other day that was sort of um, inspired, I think, by the financial fair play news um, that was saying that United is going to be in a position over the summer where they need to offload one of their bigger players. And it sounds like if this article is to be trusted, um, that it's kind of falling between Pogba and De Gea, actually. Um, mm. Which is going to be an interesting, if that is true, that's, that's going to be an interesting debate because honestly, I think at this point, I would honestly be okay with either of them leaving. Interesting. Um, because, huh, like, did not expect De Gea, Yeah, I mean, De Gea has been there for like nine years, I think, or eight or nine years now. Um, something pretty extraordinary for the amount of interest and rumors that have been following him his whole career, especially when he was, for a few years, the best keeper in the league. Um, but I feel like he's just been a great, loyal servant to the team. So I wouldn't have any hard feelings if he left now. Um, he has had a dip in form over the past year, year and a half, but I mean, he's still great. Um, that being said, I know we have backup and youngsters come at the ranks like Henderson at Sheffield and then Romero to stand in place to help transition. I mean, he's very good. Um, but with Pogba, it's a little bit different because there are the stories about his attitude and his willingness to keep working for the team. And although I've always been on the side of keep him and, you know, he's one of the best players in the world. I don't know. This season has really eventually started to make me question some of that support for him because I just have been hearing things about, you know, this injury is, is he really injured or is it just, uh, you know, a disagreement or, something like that. And I'm kind of, now that I've seen Fernandez, even though, like I said, it's only been a few weeks, I feel so much better about our squad in the future. If it is without Pogba. Yeah. Isn't it weird that we're, sorry. (laughs) Isn't it? I I just think like, it's weird that basically Hedrun is kind of right at, at the end of all this. I know. That's what I'm saying. It's a hot take that I basically am <laughs> switching my, my position. Oh, but so I mean, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, yeah, it's just like, I, I, like, I think with what naturally ended up happening, especially it kind, with Fernandez kind of coming into the fold, there is this, inclination now to let Pogba kind of go because there's been someone to take and step up and fill the role that Pogba was supposed to fill, even though yeah. Pogba might be the far superior player um, in comparison yeah. to Fernandez. It's just he hasn't been able to produce at the level that Fernandez has been able to do in this short amount of time. Um, yeah. So, and I think if it's kind of ease those fears of letting someone like that go because there's that natural replacement. Exactly. And like I was talking about earlier about our inability to sign our real targets over the past few years. I mean, without Fernandez looking 
forward to a squad that didn't even have Pogba. I mean, that's why I was always very much like, we have to keep him as long as we can because, like, what are we going to do if we don't even have Pogba? Like, yeah, it did not it look been... good. And I, I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't confident that we could sign a big target. But now that we have, and it's like, okay, this now I see a way forward. <laughs> and you weren't necessarily wrong about that assertion either like it i just feel like if you got rid of pogba without having someone like fernandez replacing him there it was looking pretty empty there in terms of yeah, like i mean you saw how we've been playing the past you know the first half of the season without yeah pogba. exactly <laughs> without um, any depth right i i actually do want to look into the future of manu um like the like pretty immediate future in terms of who they have coming up on the schedule, which I think is going to determine whether or not they make the top four. Um, They have four games coming up in the Premier League. Their next four are going to be against these top to mid-level teams that I think, yeah, it's a pretty tough schedule um, in terms of like who they have coming up. So they have this weekend, they have Everton, who, while haven't been having like an amazing season, they're solidly mid table and they themselves have a shot at the number five spot in the league. They're not that far off if they get hot at the right time. So Man U goes to, goes to Everton, Goodison Park to play. Then they also have Man City. Um, which is always like a classic, really good game uh, between two rivals. Then the game, the game after that is at um, Tottenham. Um, so like, that's also not an easy game, even though Tottenham has been down, especially with a lot of the injuries that they've been dealing with in Harry Kane um, being out long term. It looks like Son Heung-min's going to be out for the rest of the season as well with a broken wrist or broken arm, I believe. Um, so they, they're kind of shuffling and trying to figure out what they can do in their attack. And then they have Sheffield United, who's been a really fascinating story this year, who's been really solid. And they have, they're probably the shock um, surprise of the Premier League season with them, you know, fighting for a Champions League spot. So these next four games for you guys are is going to determine whether or not – I. I believe whether or not you guys make the Champions League um, for next season. Yeah, I think just like you said, I mean, this is going to be huge. I really feel like if we lose three of these games or something ridiculous, like, yeah, I'm going to be like, all right, I take it back. <laughs> We're not for. Um, it's like uh, Kevin about yeah, uh, like, posting that podcast. <laughs> right. But I, I'm not going to back down um, from my optimism because I do feel like we're in such a good run of form right now that we're up for the challenge. And like we said earlier in the podcast, like especially this season, we have been getting results in the tough games. So I don't want to just fall back on that and say like, oh, well, we win all the tough games. Like it's going to be hard. And especially going against City with all of these extra – emotions and motivations like we were talking about and a Mourinho rematch. I mean, Sheffield also one of the best defenses in the league this year. So 
luckily they'll be without Henderson and goal since he can't play against his parent club. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, this, this is going to be make or break time. And I just hope that we don't get any more injuries. I heard today that Martial got pulled out of the Europa League squad due to an injury and I didn't hear any further update. So there's one already, but yeah, um, McTominay started today. So he is a huge person to get back in the lineup because he was having an amazing year um, before he got injured a few months ago. So hopefully we keep our squad strong through this run. And I think if we have everybody that we have right now still available, I think we're going to make it through. Well, there, there's definitely confidence there. Um, I think that is nice to see, especially after the first half of the year that uh, yeah. Manchester United fans had to deal with. And for them to be fifth right now is fairly remarkable. Um, yeah. It hasn't been a good league. I mean, yeah. a good season for the whole league, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and there's like, I would say, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven, seven or eight teams basically fighting for that fourth and fifth spot, um, the coveted yeah. fourth and fifth spots um, in the league, especially with Man City um, being suspended for Champions League the next couple of years. So those fourth and fifth spots are so valuable. And, like, reading off some of these teams, like Everton, Burnley, Arsenal, Wolves, uh, Sheffield United, Tottenham, Man United, Chelsea. Like, there's a good mix of, like, traditional powers, but then also, like, these upstarts like Wolves, like Sheffield United. Burnley is, like, an interesting name, too, um, that could kind of make some noise in, in these last 11 games of the year to see whether or not they can kind of take that next step. And I'm I'm not that I'm not rooting for Man United because I'm not. <laughs> but um Sheffield that Sheffield United team is like it would just be an amazing story especially after them getting promoted last year um to oh, yeah. make it to the Champions League, especially if they're top 4 because they're well within striking distance there. Um, yeah, they're literally one point behind us. So. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so anything it, can happen. Yeah, definitely anything can happen um, would be interesting. On the flip side of things, Tyler, I don't know if I should pain you in, ter- in terms of, like, cornering you to talk about Liverpool, <laughs> but Liverpool, it, it's almost amazing, and at this point it's kind of like will they or won't they – follow in the footsteps of you know the invincibles and be able to finish off this year undefeated um they've gone through 27 games thus far um and they've won 26 of them and they've tied your man U team and i won't hear the end of it if that's the only like (laughs) the only draw of the year but (laughs) tyler like how realistic is it for them to kind of go through this season um, unscathed? Well, I mean, first of all, I don't think there's anything to talk about with Liverpool. I mean, the story's over, man. <laughs> they did it. It's, it's crazy. I, it's, no, it's, I'm it's, just it's, giving you a hard time. <laughs> no, it's so weird, though, because at the same time, like, there's not that excitement of, like... This. It, is, it is pretty crazy. 
It's like very because, anticlimactic because they can finish it off in the next four games. Like if they win the next four games, they're champions already. Yeah. And it's like it's Watford, Burnley, Everton, Palace. Like that's very realistic. Let's be honest. Yeah, it's um, it, it's crazy, honestly. It's difficult. I'm not used to feeling like this with Liverpool because normally there's always a chance for them to mess it up. Mm-hmm. So I don't really know what to do with myself anymore when I'm just like, oh, they actually actually did it. They're doing it. <laughs> They're still doing it. Um, but just just to, you know, be devil's advocate, yeah, I think they could still lose a game. Why not? <laughs> I mean, they lost <laughs> Atletico. Um you know they've got they've got City still to play. Yeah, uh, I think Arsenal, I think, Chelsea, like there's some some chances for something to happen. I mean, even the West Ham game, I thought was going to be the end of the run for sure. Like, yeah. okay, here's the Liverpool that we know from the past few years. <laughs> and then they but, turned it on yeah. in the second half, and I yeah, was made me eat my pleasantly words. surprised. <laughs> pleasantly surprised. But they were putting a lot of pressure on West Ham, and I kind of expected them to, like, tie it up. I didn't expect them to, like, go out and win it, so that was really impressive for them to do it. I think the yeah. one game that I would be a little bit worried about if I were if I were Liverpool is that actually that Everton game kind of like really I'm, cir- I'm circling that because even though it's like a rivalry matchup and like you would expect Liverpool Liverpool to get up for it, they they're gonna have a Champions League match like four days before that against Atletico yeah. and they're gonna be expending a lot of energy, obviously with them being down a goal in aggregate. So I I'm curious to see like if they're going to be spread a little bit thin. Um, It'll be interesting to that see matchup. if that affects the uh, lineup. In exactly. Right. And so you I, guys have to maybe pull on some of your depth, which Klopp doesn't normally really do. No, he's been sticking with his guys, like, and, like, they've pretty much had a set lineup, especially with, like, um, that back four, like Joe Gomez has kind of solidified his spot right next to Van Dyke um, in that center back position. And he has, you know, Klopp has exclusively moved away from anything that, you know, that approaches Lovern or Matip. Like yeah. he stayed pretty far away from those guys and has stuck with Gomez. I mean, there isn't, there aren't any complaints for me, especially with the way they've been playing. Um, I think a key injury, actually, uh, Jordan Henderson's going to be out for the next couple of weeks um, with, like, a hamstring muscle type of injury, I believe. Interesting. Um, and he didn't – and he – I think that was, like, one of the key reasons why during the West Ham game there was a little bit of a struggle in terms of them finding their rhythm um, because I believe Henderson creates a little bit more of um, – does a little bit more defensive work moving back and it doesn't all just fall on Fabinho and I think Henderson just does like a better job of tracking back compared to Nabi Keita who uh, went and replaced him in the lineup so I think that might be my only worry as to like how this lineup looks but other than that like offensively you know I I have really no complaints about this team at all (laughs) And yeah, the also the 
lack of the captain presence on the field can't you know you can't discount the importance of that yeah squad that's like you said has been so consistent it's kind of crazy that i'm giving jordan henderson praises after like (laughs) basically i've made a 180 on him ever since like champions league success so it happens um, yeah (laughs) it's it's pretty crazy so club legend right there jordan henderson (laughs) But um, I will say it's, yep. it's interesting that you really called out Everton because I wasn't really thinking about that one. But, you know, they have really been playing a lot better. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't know. I could see that, you know, they're definitely going to be fired up for it. Um, so you never know. I still think Man City's going to be even more fired up and they're just probably going to give you guys trouble i think that's i, I think city's going to win that game just calling that now <laughs> yeah i mean it's going to be a tough game it's going to be like away on the road so i i don't expect it to be an easy game at all so we shall see i it's, it's like one of it's it's one of those games that you kind of like toss your hands up and like flip a coin and you're just like all right we'll see what ends up happening um, but especially with Man City, and I'm sure they're not going to go down easy, especially with, like, um, all the implications that are happening in the background and in the periphery. I, I don't – I can't imagine them going down easy. And, honestly, by that point, Liverpool might have their ga- their foot off the pedal because they would have wrapped up the, the, the league if they won the previous That's four true. games. So that's also like a distinct possibility as well. Um, There might be a lack of motivation. But honestly, at that point, I think Klopp pretty much goes for it to like close it out because if they're able to close out this run, they're pretty much the best, like the best team in the Premier League ever if they're they're able to close it out. And not even just that. I mean, they're looking at records in like Europe, like history of European leagues. exactly exactly so like at that point you kind of just have to go for it and then they're like all right boys you're taking the like the whole summer off basically right um so um i think that's kind of that the driver of that motivation so always it might just be the the man you fan in me but i do still see a blemish on the horizon wherever it comes from i don't i don't quite believe that they're going to find a way to win every single game, but we'll see. Also, a quick shout-out to Everton for grabbing Ancelotti. I mean, that's, yeah, that's a huge get for them. That kind of reminded me when, like, Ranieri went to Leicester. I was like, where did this come from? But, I mean, it's been so far so good, so yeah, it, it's just a wanted to re- call that out. It's just, like, a really interesting, like, marriage between manager and, like, um, where he's at in his career, kind of like going to this club that is like been solidly mid-table, like throughout the time that I followed the Premier League, and whether yeah. or not they're going to be able to take the next step up um, with uh, Ancelotti, who's been like one of the best managers in the world. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, think, they have a decent squad, so it's like yeah, they do. Maybe now they can squad. make something happen. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Like whether or not like the names on the on this, you know, the team sheet are going to be able to translate on the pitch. That's going to be like the fascinating thing. Um, so, yeah. Tyler, let's actually get into um, one bit of um, a 
American soccer news before we actually talk to you about your premier fantasy premier league success. So Sounds good. the one guy that I did want to talk about, and we could have kind of uh, rolled it into like the champions league matchup stuff, but um, this youth movement going on in Dortmund um, has really helped United States soccer, um, especially with the development of Christian Pulisic and him eventually moving on from Dortmund to Chelsea. But now there's this new American kid. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, Giovanni Reina, who um, is the son of former U.S. men's national team captain Claudio Reina. And he has been getting minutes at um, Dortmund, and he got Champions League minutes um, at, at Dortmund, and he ended up supplying an assist to um, to uh, Holland. Holland. Yeah, um, as he scored a goal um, against PSG in their Champions League matchup, and then winning two one at home. So it's just impressive that a seventeen year old kid is like basically sent onto the pitch as a as a sub to uh, change the game for Dortmund against that PSG team. And it's just encouraging sign for U.S. soccer. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. I mean, 17 years old. Yeah. <laughs> the fact that we don't even really have proper like academies in the U S um, and yet, you know, there's still young kids playing in Europe in the champions league from the United States. It's just insane. Um, but I was going to say that I have heard of this kid, but I haven't done enough research on him to be too familiar with him yet, but I will definitely be checking him out now. Um, because like you said, Dortmund has just been such a hotbed for talent development over the past few years. And it's been insane. Um, with Pulisic, Sancho, and then getting Holland, I mean, they're just, they've been doing some really good business and it's exciting to watch for sure. Yeah. It's crazy. Like Holland is scoring goals. Like the, the really like surprising thing about him is that he's basically scoring goals at a better rate that he was scoring them at like um, in Austria. You know what I mean? So like, it's just like incredible that he's, been able to keep up the production at a higher level of um, playing field, like at, at a higher level um, of play. And I'm just extremely impressed. Like he was in talks of possibly coming to like the Premier League and stuff like that. And uh, the fact that he's been able to produce at this type of level, I wouldn't be surprised if like these huge teams end up calling eventually. Yeah, I mean, we were linked with him. I was getting excited about him because I thought he was still under the radar enough that we actually might be able to pull that off. But, of course, we didn't. But maybe someday. I mean, he's still just a kid, too. So give him a few years, and then maybe he'll decide to come back over. But um, it's interesting. I was just pulling up some more information on on Giovanni Reina, and it looks like he actually was with uh, the New York City FC um, Academy for the past, like, four years. So it looks like that might be um, sort of a signal of maybe more things to come because I think that's the biggest gap that U.S. soccer still needs to fill is just getting 
really strong youth systems in play to actually help us as a nation be more competitive um, when it comes to international competition still. Yeah, totally agree. And I think one, like, I mean, right. Uh, Gio, Gio Reyna's dad, Claudio Reyna, was the sporting director at NYCFC um, during his time <laughs> during his time there. So, like, he was definitely getting the most out of his development um, on the club team there. Yeah, but, that'll help, <laughs> right? That'll help for sure. But he's definitely yeah. proven on his own at, in an environment like Dortmund. Like, you're not going to get like any free passes there. And he's been able to perform and exceed expectations um, in the opportunities that he's been given. So it's been highly impressive to see that. Um, And I I guess just like one of the questions is like, and a lot of his playing style is pretty similar to like uh, a number 10 role type of thing. And I think that's something that uh, the U.S. team has been kind of looking out for. because Pulisic is his probably best position is out on the wing. So they're kind of looking for something up the middle. It would be really cool to see that exchange. Uh, Reyna got called into the full men's national team um, for this, Mar- for the, I think the string of March games, um, this U S Olympic qualifying effort is going to happen. God willing with, you know, coronavirus, hopefully not taking out, um, the possibility of the Olympics, but that, that'll that be really interesting to see in the next month or so whether or not the U.S. can qualify. Yeah, I mean, that'll be a great test because that squad has still been changing a lot over the past few years, um, especially now that Berhalter's in trying to get his philosophy in in place. And I hope that it can continue to be a positive trend because things got pretty bad for the past few years. So there's kind of nowhere else to go, but, but up. <laughs> yeah, totally agree. I mean, they were, I mean, they were already calling for Burhalter's head in terms of like wanting to let him go. So, right. it, so it got that bad because basically it couldn't have gotten worse, especially after that Canada loss. Once they lost yeah. to Canada, it was getting a little sketchy there. Um, but they've been able to find their form a tiny bit um, with this U.S. squad. Um, So it'll be really interesting to see, like, how these players fit together um, going forward, Um, especially, like, with someone like, you know, Tyler Adams is coming back healthy, healthier now, um, was injured for a while. Weston McKinney's kind of um, cemented himself at Schalke. So, a lot of these players are like finding their foothold in European soccer. And I just hope more of these kids um, are able to kind of be brave enough and also are given the opportunities to make the jump from youth teams here to potential uh, opportunities in Europe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's all we can hope for is that they keep getting that kind of quality experience and then, can, can transition it back to the national team. I did hear a bit of bad news. I think Ariola might have gotten uh, a serious injury, so we might be missing him. He was becoming one of my new favorites seeing uh, here at, in D.C. 
getting to watch him at some of the PC United games. So that would be a big loss too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he kind of locked down one of the winger roles for under yeah. Berhalter. So um, I think that'll be one of those like questions as to how he, uh, Berhalter addresses that. Um, yeah. But other than that, I did want to move on to the last topic of the day. Um, I know you're chomping at the bit, Tyler. <laughs> talk talk to me about this fantasy uh, football run that you've been going on, fantasy Premier League run. It's been honestly incredible. Um, so, Tyler, I'm going to set it up for you, and then you can kind of go off. Tyler has basically had this dramatic slash amazing run um, during fantasy <laughs> Premier League this year. And he's basically, he's demolishing like everyone in, in our personal leagues. And like, he is basically in like the top 0.01%, I would say, right? Or something like that. He's something like, like that. Yeah, he's very close to the top of the, um, the fantasy Premier League standings. I'm actually going to pull it up right now. Um, I believe, let's see. He so I'm I out of seven plus million people right now. Just to give everyone context, I'm in six hundred uh, like thousand like place. So like pretty not solid. bad, pretty solid yeah. honestly. Um, but Tyler, on the other hand, he is in um, the top ten thousand. So. <laughs> He is within the top 10,000. So it's pretty incredible to even get to that level, especially with the increased popularity of this fantasy Premier League game. Um, And the fact that he is 365th in the United States, it it blows my mind, honestly, that he's doing this well. So, Tyler, I set it up for you. What have been, like, some of the keys to your success? Well, first of all, I was thinking about charging a uh, appearance fee just for my time if we were going to talk about fantasy. Um, I mean, because, he is yeah. a top 10,000 <laughs> player now, so, you know, he needs but, um, appearance fees, he needs <laughs> bottles of water, and, like, you know, for me to treat him out, even though we're doing this remotely. So, like, uh, yeah, exactly. So, he, he has no, a lot but, of uh, uh, lot of appearance demands. <laughs> no, but... um. Yeah, I mean, I'm honestly pretty shocked myself because at the end of the day, I know this is not probably what you want to hear, but I don't think I've been doing that much differently than I have been the past few years. Um, To be fair, I've always been pretty decent. Um, I've hovered around the 150,000 mark um, for most of my, the end of the year for the past, you know, five years or so. But something about this year has just seen me get pro- propelled up into the top 100,000 and then um, stick around all the way up to the top 10,000. Um, and to be honest, the, the main thing that I've actually been trying to do is just make fewer transfers and just try to let my team just accumulate the points and fix things here and there if there's an issue and try to hop on a few players that I think are going to do well. But I think last the last few years I've been really eager to take 
points hits where if you you know make more than one or two transfers in a week, you get deducted a certain amount of points based on how many more you do. I was I used to be really open about that kind of stuff and not think it was a big deal. Um, but honestly, I think that's maybe the only thing I've really changed about my strategy, and it seems to be paying off. I don't know if we can attribute it all to that or if it's just a coincidence, um, but whatever it is, I'm going to try to keep writing this out and try to finish um, as high as I am now and not drop back down to to the middle of the pack before the end of the season. <laughs> Totally agree. I, yeah, I, it, from what I've gathered, it seems like less tinkering, just more trusting in like what what exactly. it is that you already have, and letting it roll, letting it roll with some of those guys. So it's it's been like a really fascinating, like, and cool thing to like root Tyler on because like he's so far ahead of everyone else that like it's kind of like Liverpool in real life. Right, exactly. So basically everyone else is playing for second. And I'm like honestly close to second place. So like there's a possibility yeah, you I can made some significant moves yourself. Ex- exactly. So I've I've made some dramatic like movement upwards where like I believe like earlier on in the season I was close to like last in this league and now I've yeah. climbed my way. I was at I was in third last week but i've dropped down to fourth um but i've dramatically made some improvements and i have a realistic shot at uh getting to second place uh by the end of the year i believe a hundred percent yeah it's just definitely really tight from like two through seventh <laughs> yeah two <laughs> through much. seventh yeah third, exactly. eighth even. Yeah. yeah two through eight um, so but yeah you used to be at the bottom of that pack and now you're right up there on the top so um, I think I think the league as a whole is getting stronger every year as people just keep doing it year after year and start to learn a little bit about about what the best strategies are. Right. But yeah, and I gotta be like honest. I think it's a lot of luck. <laughs> <laughs> I I you know there's a certain Tyler don't don't point. say those things. That won't be good no, for your I gotta, future appearance. I gotta be piece. honest. <laughs> it won't be good for your future appearance fees. <laughs> like clearly I was doing something right to finish like consistently, you know, top 150 K or whatever. But I feel like once you start getting up to like the top 10,000, it's just, you know, there's, there's some luck involved. Let's be real. <laughs> totally agree. I think like, just like knowing, like basically getting lucky with certain players or captaining the right guy pretty much every week um, to increase that total point output is the really key and crucial things that make like a good player in fantasy premier premier league a great player um or a player that scores a lot of points um and being able to capitalize on those types of opportunities um tyler is there i'm I'm basically picking at some of your your knowledge here but is is there a player for the rest of the season that you feel like um, might outperform what he's been able to do so far? So I want to give Fernand, Bruno Fernandez a quick shout out um, just because I I was very excited about him, obviously. And I felt like I was very biased as a huge Man United fan. So I wanted to watch his first game before I brought him in my team. I didn't want to bring him straight in. Um but that being said, after I watched his first game, 
the first thing I did was transfer him into my team. Um, because I just, it's, it's always more fun. I think to have at least some tie to your team that you actually support. And I had not really had Manchester United players for this whole season because they haven't been very reliable in getting points for fantasy. Um, so like to actually get excited about a Man United player in fantasy again was a really, it was just something I had to jump on. <laughs> and so far it's paid off. So I would definitely keep an eye on him. I know we talked about the fixtures are going to be difficult, but he literally is all over the ball for like 90 minutes. So if anything is going to happen, I feel like he's going to be involved. So I would definitely keep your eye on him. Um, other than that, honestly, I think you just got to load up on these Liverpool players. Um, I've had three for as long as I can remember now. <laughs> that seems to have been me, helping me a lot. Um, doubled up on their defense because they mm-hmm. just look like they're going to keep a clean sheet every game. Um, and I pretty much left the armband on Salah a lot. Um, I was catching Vardy when he was going through his run. But I think you've just got to stick with stick with what you know is going to work um, and not try to overthink it, you know? Right, and make, like, huge swings or, like, yeah, or, like take, captain it, take advantage of matchups. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, just captain, like, Salah or, you know, if you have Abba, you know, Bobby Yang or just don't. I mean, obviously, if people are far behind. They're going to want to try to do something crazy to catch up a lot of positions. But I feel like just consistently throughout the year, if you just go with the the more reliable players, so to speak, um, mm-hmm. it might it might be the way to go. Totally agree with you there, but that might be previewing for me a differential <laughs> captain coming up. Right, so. it could be. Who knows? Yep. So be on the lookout for that this week. Um, there's a there's a huge hint there for you, Tyler. Um, so Tyler, thanks for coming back onto the podcast. Always nice to have you. Thanks for imparting your knowledge um, on fantasy Premier League um, and how things go there. And thanks for giving me your comments on like everything about Man U um, and where you see the outlook of this team. Um, always good to have you on. So thanks again. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me back. I know it's been a while. And as you said, so many crazy things have been happening. Um, so we'll have to, we'll have to see where all this ends up and then talk about it again. I got a girl with a mind on love. The kind of love that is dangerous It knocks me down but I get back up And I'm addicted, I can't get enough